They do great work out there. Great work. Uh, you know, we, uh, we're in this series. We're continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to follow along with me, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 21 to 26 today. And we've been looking at the first part. We actually spent two weeks, if you've been with us, in the, what's known as the Beatitudes, these statements from Jesus. And, and there was, a, there was a, a really interesting passage that we looked at last week where Jesus says, If you are my follower... You are salt and light. You're a divine influencer in the world, right where you are. And and these topics that Jesus keeps talking about, these have been things that we don't necessarily work to create in ourselves. That we're we're not trying to to be these things. These are just things that Jesus says, this is who you are. And as you're growing and maturing in your faith, these are things that that, uh, God is doing in you. I was talking to somebody this past week about that, and they said, you know, there's really this mystery to it about how, you know, when we're united with Christ, you know, when we're walking with God and he's growing us, it's, it's hard to kind of wrap your fingers around that. How do I know if I'm, you know, if, if that's me? And, and I thought this was really insightful. I said, you know, it's really the difference between a map and a guide. You know, we don't have a map, but we have a guide. And in, in our relationship with Christ, you know, the closer that you stick to the guide, you know where you're going. But if you, you know, if you get away, get away from your guide, you're going to be lost really quickly. And I, I like that. I, that helps me wrap my brain around it a little bit. The things we're look, we've looked at the last few weeks are things that God develops in us, not, not things that we have to create. But now he's getting ready to shift gears. This next block of teaching, Jesus is going to talk about the things that we do. So here's where the rubber meets the road for us. He's going to talk about behavior and how we're called to live and the people that we're called to be. So really the next, the last few weeks, I hope it made you feel better, kind of take, take some weight off of you. Now we're going to kind of, now we're going to kind of lay it on a little bit, a little bit more because following Jesus is not all rainbows and, and uh, sunshine and I don't ever have to do anything. God just, you know, does it all for me, but quite the opposite. Jesus was the one who said, If you're going to follow me, well, foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if you're going to to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross. It's going to require sacrifice and discipline and and action. There's things that we have to do, and and that's what we're going to see today. There's this whole whole section. uh, We won't have time to get to all of it in this series because of our our limitations. I may, may even, I thought about maybe even coming back to this after Easter. I'm not sure. But I would encourage you this week, especially as we are preparing our hearts for, uh, for, for the Resurrection Sunday, uh, to be in this week, read all of Matthew chapter 5. Just go back and read it every day this week and spend a little time with the Lord. But the basic theme, what he's getting ready to, to set up, is how we go higher with him. What we're called to, to do. And that, that's why before he gets into this section... In Matthew 5, 17, he said, Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That passage is important for us. Kind of as a, to preface where we're getting ready to go. Following Jesus does not mean, okay, now I sit back and I don't have to do anything. You know, he just, he just does it all. You have to understand that there is a way that God is calling you to live. And it is a high standard. The bar is, is high. And I've been thinking specifically about this since we started this series. One of the Beatitudes that really jumps out at me is Matthew 5, 9. Where Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. That one is loaded, and that speaks so much to our culture today. I, I, I think if, if there was one beatitude that, man, we need to get serious about, it's this one. Jesus does not promise that your life is going to be better if you're a peacemaker. To be a peacemaker is hard. It's difficult, and it's, it's going to tie your stomach up in knots. But Jesus calls you and I to a life that takes action and never avoids a peacemaker, that's, that's an action. It's not a peacekeeper, not a peace lover, but peacemaker. That's, that's something that I am working toward. The Bible never says that if you do everything right that you're never going to have a problem. That if you're nice and everything will be nice to you. That's one of the things I really love about the Bible. The Bible is a, is a book of reality. You know, the teachings of Jesus, it's just, this is the way it is. You know, whether you like it or not really doesn't make a bit of difference. This is, he's just telling us, truth this is exactly the way the world is and what what god is calling us to do and sometimes when you do the right thing you'll be persecuted sometimes you hurt because you did the thing that god called you to do there's a reason not many of us are peacemakers not many of us are doing aggressive things to make peace it's because it hurts because it's not fun it doesn't make me feel like i'm getting what i deserve sometimes and and it definitely feels like other people aren't getting what they deserve Here's what we all know, and, and Jesus knows this about us, too. We're, we are we're different, all of us. Sometimes conflict happens just because you've got two people who see things differently. You'd be looking at the same, exact, the same exact situation, and because my background has been this and your background has been that, that we can, we can come to a conflict because we've got two different sets of eyes on the same thing. Why do we have to demonize people who look at things differently than we do? Just because you and I have a different perspective doesn't mean that I can't like you or love you, but we've become very segmented as a culture. There was an article in the New York Times that spoke to this. It said, psychologists and other social scientists have repeatedly shown that when confronted with diverse information choices, people rarely act like rational, civil-minded automatons. Instead, we are roiled by preconceptions and biases, and we usually do what feels easiest. We gorge on information that confirms our ideas, and we shun what does not. We all do that. Every one of us is guilty of that. And that dovetails right into what Jesus is getting ready to say. He's getting ready to step on every one of our toes this morning. So just, I'm prepping you up front. This one's a little painful. Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. 
If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. Okay, that makes sense. I got that. Like, my brain, that's easy. You know, we know, okay, if I kill somebody, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to go to, you know, I'm going to stand in court. I'm going to be judged, right? Jesus is just saying, yeah, you, you know that. You've heard that. The next verse, but I say, and here's what he's doing. He's raising the bar. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Sounds pretty extreme. Let me just, let me just pause there and, and show you the best that I can, hopefully by the Holy Spirit's power, how desperately God loves you. Here's what I want you to get from this passage. You say, okay, how, how, could I, how could I see that God loves me from that passage? How does that lead to that? If he says, you know, if you, if you murder someone, you're going you're gonna to be judged. You know, If you're angry in your heart, you're going to be liable also. Well, how does that make God loving? Because what he's saying to us, he says, I want you to have the freedom to not have anger in your heart. I want you to be able to live in such a way that you don't, you're not, you don't have those chains. You, you are free in heart. You're not walking in the kind of anger that's going to lead to, to outbursts or to, to always be angry or to have the chip on the shoulder or, uh, you know, or I'm, I'm crusty and I'm, I'm bitter and all those things. But I want you to actually be free from all of these things. And, and this is why he's so serious about anger. Jesus is so serious about us not being a people who have angry hearts and i can think of a couple of reasons why first is when you when you allow when you allow anger to grow and fester in your heart one thing it does it allows the enemy to have a foothold in your life i know people say well no that's really not true i don't believe that i i i'm I'm in control of this no you're not you're not the more you allow anger to build and grow and just uh, determine your steps, you're giving the devil the steering wheel in your life. Ephesians 4 says, don't, let, uh, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. You know, when your emotions are running red hot, you're, you're an easy target, man. I mean, it, you're, it's so easy in that... Uh, comes over you just for you to make the wrong decisions to take the wrong step i've seen so many people absolutely destroy their families their careers their friendships you know their lives in a burst of anger i think about uh, the things we see you know uh, occasionally you might see a a coach on television that's getting frustrated with his team and you just see the you just see it boiling and he, and he can't control the emotions and has an outburst and it, it costs the team you know, there's a, some kind of a, maybe he's kicked out of the game or whatever, and you see, well, why did he, why did he have to do that? Or somebody that, in, in whatever arena of life, somebody maybe you work with, that you just see it kind of like, they're just ready to boil over. And then they, they just have this explosion, cost them their job, cost them their reputation. They just look like a fool. Anger has a way of just destroying. It just leaves a path of wreckage. And here's another reason why it's really, really serious. Not only do, do anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and jadedness, not only do those things give the devil a foothold, but anger, literally, it has the ability 
to not only destroy you, but to, to destroy all those around you. It, it really, there really is a ripple effect to this. Hebrews 12 challenges us, says, work at living in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Here's what I think is interesting about that analogy, about that verse. When you think about roots, be careful, no poisonous root of bitterness. Well, roots are uh, under the surface. They're not visible. They're, They're invisible, right? So he's saying the root of bitterness. He's not referencing what we see. He's referencing what's going on beneath the surface. And he's saying, be careful. Be careful of that root. Because when it does spring up, uh, anger can, can work itself out in a thousand different ways. But I can think specifically of two different groups. Some of us, when we get angry, we rage out. So it's external. You get mad, everybody knows you're mad. You know, maybe you're a, a yeller or whatever. You know, you make it known that you are you are ticked off. And some of you, this is you, and it's causing destruction. It causes problems for you in your life, breakdown in your family, breakdown in your friendships, negatively affecting your career or even your physical health. I knew a guy years ago that uh, just a, just an angry guy all the time, just always just always angry about something. And he would, he would, even with people he didn't know very well, he'd just get real worked up and huffing and puffing and red in the face. And the guy ended up having a massive heart attack and died at an early age. The doctors said, yeah, it's just he never could get his anger under control. It took his life because it, he never could get it under control. And it, it took that big of a toll on him. If, it's, if, it's, if that's you, if you're saying, okay, I, I'm the type of person that rages out. You're not going to like what Jesus has to say here. Or at least, you're, well, at least you'll know that he's talking to you. You'll know that. But the second group, you might be in even more danger. Because there are those of us who rage out, and then there are those of us who rage in. So when you're angry, not very many people know it. Maybe you don't even know it, you know. And uh, you, you, you are a type of person that withdraws. You say, I'm angry at you, so I'm not going to give you the privilege of being around the awesomeness of me. Like, you, you, you miss out because I'm awesome and, and now I'm mad at you, so I'm, I'm not going you know, to let you be around me. We pull back and we pout. People say, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing. That's anger. You may say nothing, but pouting, that's anger. That's, that's raging in. Some of you in here, when you're mad, nobody knows and you, you take anger and you, you stuff it down. Maybe you try to camouflage it. Um, I don't want to show others that I've, I've got, you know, any, that I'm thinking anything or something's bothering me. And so you stuff it and you stuff it and it festers and transforms into bitterness and resentment. Goody. Just wonderful, lovely things there. Now, some of you, you think that that, mean, that, that that means that you're a mature Christian because you do that. Because I don't show anger. 
I stuff it all in, I hold it all in, and yet it festers and has made me a bitter person, but that's just a sign of my mature faith. That, that's not true, and it's, it's not possible. There is a category for righteous anger, uh, but that's not it. That, the answer is not hiding it. There is a righteous way to deal with our anger, and, and it works itself out in all these different ways, but the Bible says... Watch your roots, because if you let a bitter root grow and supply nutrients to the rest of your life, when that thing blossoms, it's going to corrupt not just you, but it's going to corrupt, corrupt everybody around you. I've seen that in some vivid ways. We've seen that as a church family in some vivid ways over the last few years. We've seen tragedies within families in our church, in our church community where we've seen a person who was angry and stuffing and, and not dealing with and then, and then have explosive problems that have happened that have led to tragedy. We've seen that. Uh, I've seen that in, in, my own, in my own personal life with family members and, and friends. We've seen how... A person's anger and rage can lead them to make an irrational decision that just blows up people's lives. Had a funeral, uh, probably about two years ago, for a, a, a young young man, teenage boy, young young teenage boy, that uh, was angry, had some anger issues, some problems going on, and and one day, in a fit of rage, he just decided to take his own life. Right in front of his, right in front of his family. Just wreckage, terrible, terrible. But just show just a moment of anger unchecked. What what it can do? It just blows up people's lives, and that's what Jesus is driving at here. He's saying, "Deal with your anger. You've got to deal with this." He says, "I know that you know that you'll be held liable for murder. You've heard that." You, you know that, but I'm telling you, you're going to be liable for your anger also because of where it comes from and because of what it produces. He says, if you call someone an idiot, and that was a real derogatory slur. Um, the original word is raka. It meant like empty-headed. Um, and it was, a real, it was a real derogatory thing to say to somebody in his day. And, and, and really what, what Jesus was driving to is there is an anger and and i think as i describe this you probably can feel it you, you know what i'm talking about there is an anger that can drive you to want to hurt another person's soul like i really want to hit you where it hurts and that's what he's saying here this isn't oh my wife and i had a disagreement on the way to church this morning about which radio station we want to listen to that's not what he's talking about this is when you have such a vile hatred in your heart for another human being. Even if it's not a person that you know. I mean, some of us have this feeling about people we've never met. You know, but because we see them, you know, on the television screen or whatever. And I've got, I've got this vile hatred because I just don't like something about this person. And it, I'd like to hit them where it would really hurt. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to knock that off. You can't live like that. that. That is not how a follower of Jesus Christ conducts themselves. And I see a, a ton of application in this for those of us who have ever raised kids. I've got three, and they fight all the time. 
and it's just, it's annoying. But they're always getting on each other's nerves, and I, I can be in the other room, and I hear them kind of getting at each other, and voices are getting elevated, and maybe a door slams or whatever, and usually what, the way this plays out is, Megan will, you know, I can hear Megan go in the other room, and she starts to, hey guys, what are we doing? We need to stop, and I can just hear everybody's elevated. And at some point, I finally get tired of hearing it, and so I'll get up and say, hey, 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 what are we doing? You, this is your brother, this is your sister. Why are you guys doing this? We all love each other. We're a family. We're, we we got to stop this. we got to knock this off because we're a family and we all love each other, right? So knock it off. And that's kind, of a, that's kind of a taste of what Jesus is saying to us here. Saying this person that you're angry with, they're your brother. They're your sister. Uh, why are you trying to murder them in your heart? Why do you, why do you want... To see something bad happen to them. Why, why would you harbor? Why would you let that anger fester like that? And then he presses in even deeper. Verse 23. This is going to challenge every one of us in this room. So, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple. And you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. And then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So a couple applications for us there. Application number one. What, what is he saying? What's he trying to get us to know? Always be reconciling. That that is the, the definition of my life. That I am a peacemaker. I'm always working towards reconciling. Because did you catch it? In Jesus' scenario, what he says there, are you the one who's angry? No. He doesn't say, oh, if you remember that you're angry at someone. He says, no, if you remember that someone is angry at you. He's so serious about how we interact with each other on this, this anger deal. He's saying, if you come to worship me, if you come into, the, into God's house to worship and all of a sudden, you're reminded that, that your brother, there's someone that has something against you. Then press pause on worship. That's what he, that's what he says. Just, just press pause for just a minute on worship and go make things right. You go find that person and you go reconcile with them. And, and then you can come back and, and worship me. Now, that's hard. That's really hard, especially in a day and age where we can hide. You know, I know a lot of people that just say, oh, I, I'm just fine with moving on. I cut people off. I do this, I do that, and just, I don't want to deal with it. It's hard to work at reconciliation. That's really hard. I was talking to the staff about this the other day. We have our, our weekly staff meeting, and I said, yeah, we're going to talk about this when Jesus says, you know, if you come to worship and you remember this, stop. Just stop, leave it, and go. And, and, and they, one of the staff asked me, he said, what would you do if you're preaching and you get there and all of a sudden you start seeing people get up and leave? I said, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if we see people, if we see people do that? Uh, now, I'm, I'm, just hang around. You don't have to do that right now. Wait, wait till, but maybe, maybe that is you uh, at some point. But, but to watch us say, I'm going to own this thing. Jesus told me to do this. Jesus told me to do this. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to go make things right right now. That's how serious he is. He says, if somebody has a problem with, with you, don't, don't even come worship me. 
until that's settled. Because one way or the other, it's going to affect your worship anyway. Uh, some of us have believed, as a matter of fact, I was talking with somebody just a couple of months ago about this, that believe that, okay, if I've got a problem with somebody, I can just avoid it. I'll just, I'll just not go to that church anymore. That way I don't have to deal with it. I just go worship God somewhere else. I said, it doesn't matter where you go because you've got a bitter root in your heart. That's got to be dealt with. It's going to affect your worship. No matter, you can go worship in Antarctica, but you've got to deal with that before God. It's going to, it's going to follow you. Romans 12, 18 says, this is a challenging verse. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That's the message that we see all over God's word. He's, he's so serious about this. Do all that you can. What, is that, what does that say? It's saying own more than you have to. You know, okay, so I'm going to worry about my side of the street only. No, that's not what this says. What this says is own more than you have to. Even if you say, well, I didn't, it wasn't my fault, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was your fault or not. Own more than you have to. You know who did that for us? You know who took the initiative and owned more than they had to? We ought to know. It was Jesus Christ who went to the cross for our sins. He, was, he didn't have any sin of his own, but he owned our sin, absorbed it, and because he did that, you and I are reconciled before God. And what he's saying here is, I want you to reflect that. That big thing that I did for you, I want you to be a reflector of that in the world. Own more than you've got to own. I know it doesn't feel fair, Jesus would know a little bit about that, about what's not fair. And look at how he ends this thing, verse 25. He says, when you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. I think that's, I think that's important. Settle them quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. See, it just it elevates. He says, settle it quickly because otherwise it gets worse and worse and worse. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. So he's not letting up on the pressure. <laughs> he's, not, he's not giving us an easy out here. He's saying what you need to do, this is what Jesus says to you and me. He says what you, you got to do is you go to the person quickly and you take care of it. Because if you don't, it just gets worse. And if you don't deal with it, eventually it's going to cost you. Don't let it get to this massive point. Just deal with it. Sometimes doing that quickly, it, it doesn't even mean rehashing the whole event. It's not that i got to go back and, hey, remember that thing that happened three months ago? And, well, you did this, and then I did that, and then you did this. and you did. It's not about that. It just means giving forgiveness. So here's the second application is pursue peace quickly. Don't wait don't say, well, I, when I get in the mood, you know, or maybe, maybe next week that'll be a little better for me. Just do it now. He's saying, not only do you press pause on worship, if you're angry or someone's angry with you, or there's conflict, not only do you press pause on worship, but you're diligent. You're doing all that you can, as much as you can, maybe even more, as quickly as you can. Don't let it grow. Don't let it fester. Own it. Own more than you have to if that's what it takes. Resolve it as quickly as possible, otherwise it's going to cost you. I'll tell you, man, I, I wish that I could stand up here and say, I got this all figured out. Let me tell you how this works, because I do this 
so I'm, I've mastered this. I have not. Uh, it is hard. It is a hard thing to do. It's hard stuff. But the thing that I have learned and what God's been showing me through the, through the moments when I, when I miss the mark and I get back up and I keep, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to try again. I'm stumbling towards Jesus is I just continually experience how good God's grace is for me. As he's calling me to do these hard things, and when I fail, he just keeps loving me. And I get to stand up here, and I get to preach his word boldly, even, even on weeks when I've missed the mark. Because, but God is, even in that, he's chiseled some stuff off of me. And so here's what I, what I want you to do. So when we look at a text like this, that these are, like we don't have to wonder what is Jesus trying to say. We don't, we don't have to. We know. It's, it's obvious what he's telling us we have to do. I think there's a couple of things that's, that are important for us. And one of the things that's really important is to practice confession. You know, I think a lot of us, one of the things we get hung up on is we, we, we aren't honest with ourselves and we aren't even honest with God. Even though he already knows. There's, there's just that little bit of of a rub there where I'm, I'm just not being honest with myself and I'm not being honest with God about this. And so what I want to do today is, is I, I want us to kind of practice a little bit of confession before God. And here's what I want you to know as I, as I ease into this. Nobody's going to be looking at you. Uh, nobody's going to put you on the live stream. Matter of fact, they're going to cut that off in just a moment because this is not for everybody out there. This is for those of us in this room right here. Uh, if you're here today and you say, okay, Brandon, I have to be honest, I have an angry heart. I'm prone to outbursts. I'm prone to withdrawals. I'm prone to pouting. I'm prone to all those things. If, if I had to be honest, you say, oh, yeah, I, I really feel like I have, a, I have an angry heart. What I want to do right now is I just want everybody in here, just close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking at you. Uh, what I want you to do is just kind of raise your hand. You don't have to raise it up high. Maybe just 